Extra Crispy is brought to you by Steve's LEDs. Steve'sLEDs.com is where you can find all your LED lighting needs. From horticultural lights to aquarium lights to parts and services, Steve'sLEDs.com. Made right here, down the road, Louisiana. Thanks for listening. It's Extra Crispy, a podcast of curious conversations with me, your host, Crispin Schroeder. It's been a little while since I've done a podcast. Uh, I've recorded this interview actually five or six weeks ago, but those holidays just about killed me with busyness. Uh, so in this episode, I, I sit down with uh, Brian Gowland, uh, who is in charge of the, he heads up the Abita Opry right here in Abita Springs, and he was actually once the mayor of Abita Springs, so a very prominent member of this community of which I've been living in for the past eight years, and uh, Abita Springs is a really special place with a lot of cool things going on regarding arts and music and culture, but no doubt one of the greatest cultural assets of this community is the Abita Opry. The Abita Opry happens three times in the fall and three times in the spring and features, uh, is a focus mainly on roots music uh, and Louisiana roots music. So you are bound to hear bluegrass, New Orleans jazz, gospel, zydeco, blues, all kinds of stuff. And they each show has about four acts. Uh, I got to play there about a year and a half ago, two years ago myself. One of my favorite venues to ever play. So... I'm going to sit down with Brian in his, uh, at his home here in Abita Springs and do this interview. So let's go ahead and have this extra crispy conversation. Okay. Yeah, we are rolling. Here we are with Brian Galland. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you tell me a little bit about your story and how you ended up here in uh, Abita Springs and... <laughs> Well, that's that's a good question. I love to relate this story. I uh, when I first got married, my wife and I moved to Covington, and I had to finish college. And she went to work as a social worker. And I received an assignment in my senior year to do student teaching at Slidell Junior High School. Well, this was in 1969. Well, at that time, they didn't have an interstate. I was living in Covington. And we would drive through Abita Springs. A friend of mine uh, who was teaching at Slidell High School, I was teaching at Slidell Junior High School on a student teaching assignment. So we would actually drive down Highway 36 through Abita and catch Highway 36 to Pearl River to go to Slidell. It was an easy way to go, very light traffic. But when we would pass through Abita Springs, there was just something about the community that drew me. I thought it was such a nice little community. Uh, I'd pass by the school and see the kids out there. And anyway, it didn't occur to me that perhaps I would be living here, but I just liked the feeling of it. It's just something about it that drew me to Abita Springs. At any rate, when I got ready to graduate, they had an employment conference at Southeastern, where I graduated from. And 
when I went to the employment conference, uh, I thought that what I wanted to do was to go back to my home parish, St. Bernard Parish, and teach. Uh, my greatest dream at the time would be to teach at my alma mater, Chalmette High School. <laughs> and anyway, uh, I talked to the superintendent from St. Bernard Parish, and we had a nice conversation. But then I went and saw Mr. Clanton, who was the assistant superintendent of St. Tammany Parish School District. As it was, while I was student teaching, I was visited in my classroom by the supervisory staff from St. Tammany Parish. So I spoke to Mr. Clanton, who was assistant superintendent of education, and he observed my class at Slidell Junior High School. He offered me a choice of three jobs. The people at Slidell High wanted me to teach there. Uh, they offered me a job, uh, Fifth Ward Junior High School and Abita Junior High. And he said, we have these three jobs available for you to teach history. And that was my major. I was a history teacher. Oh, I'm a history major too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, so... And then that's what I wanted to do. He said, well, Mr. Garland, this is a small country school at Abita, and we really need someone to coach there, too. Now, I never dreamt of being a coach. That wasn't <laughs> what I wanted to do in life. Uh, not, I, I had an athletic background. I played football in high school. I was always involved in athletics, but, you know, I just thought I was going to be a classroom teacher and teach history. And I thought about it and I said, you know, that might be a nice experience too. Mm -hmm. So I took the job as a coach and a teacher at Abita Springs Junior High School. <laughs> and uh, What were you coaching? Uh, I was coaching just about everything they had everything available. They had. Yeah, that's what uh, it was town. just a little old school, you know. <laughs> uh, well, anyway... I grew with the job. I mean, my first basketball game, uh, I thought I had a pretty good team, and we went and played basketball. Uh, my first game, I lost 111 to 36. And I figured, well, the only way to go from here is up. I was enjoying my history teaching experience. I loved the community. I made some connections with the people. And when I took the job, Mr. Clinton said, you know, Mr. Gollum would like somebody to be there for a few years. I said, well, I, I guess I can do that. I don't know if I'm going to spend my entire career there. I, it, it, you know, it was, wasn't something that entered my mind. Well, 27 years uh, <laughs> I spent at Abita. Uh, I grew with the job. I grew in my understanding of how to coach and coach sports. And anyway, uh, and I love teaching history, so... I stayed at that job for 27 years until the junior high school uh, in Abita Springs shut down, and they transferred the junior high school students to Fountain Blue Junior High, and that was my assignment. I wasn't uh, certified to teach below the seventh grade, mm -hmm. uh, so I really had to go ahead and you know, move with the children to Fountain Blue High School where I finished out my teaching experience. I taught for 33 years. 
but one of the biggest rewards of my teaching and coaching experience is that right now, the three head basketball coaches are at Fountain Blue High, at Covington High, and at Mandeville High are all kids who I coached basketball. Wow, not a bad not a bad deal for a history. Yeah, teacher. well, John John Boudreau <laughs> just got named uh, interim head coach at Covington High, and Paul Pye uh, is the head coach at Mandeville High, and my son M- Mike Gowland is the head basketball coach at Fountain Blue High School. What a trip! And what's really great about it is my grandson Brian, same name as me, of course, <laughs> is on the team. Oh, wow. And so I have the joy of going to the game and watch the son I coach coach his son <laughs> and playing against another guy that I coached. So, you know, that, that, that has its own reward. Yeah. But I taught consistently in the 33 years I taught, I've taught a variety of subjects. I taught American history. Uh, I taught civics i taught economics and since i had i even a couple of times was assigned to teach english and speech because i had a minor teaching field in speech mm-hmm. and i had enough hours in english to allow me to teach english in the classroom too so uh but the one consistent subject that i taught throughout the 33 years I taught was Louisiana history, Louisiana studies, actually. And so I really developed a real understanding, what I feel like is an understanding of the history, and not only the history, but the culture of Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, uh, you know, circumstances evolved that I got involved with music production through the Piney Woods Opry, uh, which was a show that we had at the Abita Springs Town Hall uh, that played for about nine years. And, and when it, did the Piney Woods start? Piney Woods started about, uh, let me see if I can get this right, uh, 1992. Okay, yeah. Now, that brings up a whole nother aspect of my life because in 1990, I was elected mayor for the town of Abita Springs. Oh, wow. And uh, a real serendipitous thing occurred that on a corner in the middle of town, uh, we had a beautiful old treasured building that was a grocery store, the ABC Grocery. And at one night it caught on fire and burned down to the ground. And this was in about 1988 or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it left the ugly scar right in the middle of town at the heart of Abita Springs, right where the traffic circle is okay, now. Yeah. Anyway, uh, in 1990, 1989, I was out campaigning to run for mayor and in a small town like Abita, you have to go door to door. You got to go knock on doors, talk to people, let them know that you're interesting, interested rather, and you want to represent them. Interesting doesn't help, hurt either, though. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
So anyway, uh, and my uh, one question at each house I visited is, what are your concerns for the town? What is it that you would like to see me do if I'm elected mayor? And more than once, a bunch of times, I got uh, the answer that people were concerned about the ugly scar that was left in the middle of town where the ABC grocery burned down. And so it gave me a thought, what am I going to do with that piece of property, Mm -hmm. which did not belong to the town? Anyway, one day after I was elected, I was riding in a car with my wife, and uh, rest her so anyway, we're riding in a car, and I just mentioned in passing, you know, I don't know what could be done with that corner. People don't like the idea that that ugly scar is there where they have all the leftover black soot on the ground and, and everything like that, and they would like to see something there. She said, wouldn't it be nice if you put a little gazebo up and landscaped it? And so what I did was I hustled up a bunch of volunteers. I contacted the property owners, and they agreed to lease the property to the town for the cost of their liability insurance. And so we secured the lease, and then uh, I got some volunteers together. A beat of lumber donated the lumber, and we built that little gazebo that's there. Yeah. And then later on, I got it landscaped. And a bit at a time, a bit made a nice little pocket park right in the middle of town. And, you know, those are the kind of things that you do in Abita Springs. But anyway, getting back to the music part of it, some friends thought it'd be a good idea to have an outdoor concert and have some musicians play in a gazebo and have, like they do at the Covington Farmers Market, and people sitting around listening to the music. It was Labor Day weekend. So we went and we were enjoying the music, and they were playing. We had a, a, a group called the Evening Star String Band, which played traditional old time country and gospel music and another group that played bluegrass music. And everybody was enjoying it completely, and it, there was a small crowd there. And, well, it was Labor Day weekend, so here comes the inevitable afternoon thunderstorm. And it busted up the concert. I said, you know, this is too good not to continue. Well, I got elected mayor, and I was mayor by that time, and uh, I said, let's go to the town hall. Let's go over there and set up and listen to some more of this great music. So anyway, uh, we all drifted to the town hall, and uh, the music was going on, and at one time they took a break, and one of the musicians, Pat Flory, said, you know, this is the kind of place that this music was played in when it was popular. And it was like a light bulb went off over people's heads, And so, you know, well, let's have a show here. Uh, Let's let's try to do, just for the fun of it, do a little show. And so we got together. You know, somebody said, what's the name of it going to be? I said, well, let's see. 
you know, traditional upland southern culture, uh, the Piney Woods culture of this area. I said, the Piney Woods Opry. And the name stuck, and it became the name of the show. And it grew, and it became just extremely popular. Uh, it was videotaped for TV, mm-hmm. and uh, they had, uh, it was, you know, we recorded all of the shows, and it was a very, very popular show. But the um, focus of the show was tra- was uh, string music. It was acoustic string music. Uh, and it pretty much was restricted to bluegrass and traditional southern country music and uh, gospel music. And, well, the show went on for nine years, and for various reasons, funding, uh, attempts to keep it alive, the cost of production, everything like that, well, the show quit playing. Well, after that show quit playing, then as mayor, more and more people, and this was in my final term, uh, more and more people said, you know, man, I missed that Abita Opry. I missed that Abita Opry. They didn't call it Planet Was Opry. They yeah. called it the Abita <laughs> Opry. And, you know, man, that was such a great thing. So toward the end of my term, I decided to get together with some folks and try to revive the show. And I said, what can we do to make sure that if we put this show together, that it won't suffer from lack of funding and and all the things like that. So I looked at what happened with the Piney Woods Opry, and I said, well, we recreated the show under the name Abita Springs Opry, and we expanded the show and developed a mission statement and a mission statement we now have is the preservation and presentation of Louisiana roots music. Well, that covers everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've done everything. We, we do bluegrass. We still do country, Cajun, Zydeco, blues, traditional New Orleans jazz. But we always attempt to stay in a traditional mode. Yeah. And that has been successful. I think having variety at every show has been a key to success. And the show's been successful. We've been playing since 02. Wow. The first show we had was in November of 02. And so here we are, you know, 14 years later, 15 years later, still going strong. We still have audience attendance from anywhere from 350 to 400 people at just yeah. about every show, you know, and we're videotaped for television. The parish comes in. We just pay the cost of videotaping, yeah. and they do a great job. And audience is just such a, um, I know, it's a magic formula. They, yeah, well, I, I know when I, I first, I moved here eight years ago, and um, it's kind of it's kind of interesting seeing you know hearing how you ended up in Abita. Uh, we were living in Kenner, and we were looking at moving to the North Shore. And I didn't really care to live in Mandeville, and I, nor did I need to because I don't need to commute for what I do. And um, 
initially we were looking in Covington, but yeah, we came over here to Abita. I'm like, this, this, it, it's kind of exactly what you said. It's just like, there's something different about this place. And I, I, I'd, I'd actually had some friends over the years who'd played at the Abita Springs Osprey. I'd never actually attended it. I, I knew about it. And, um, saw the little Abita mystery house and all this stuff. And I'm like, this is a, you know, a, a place that has a, a place like the Abita mystery house and the Abita Opry. I'm like, this is um, not your typical little Louisiana town. It's got, it's got some um, quirky kind of personality. And um, I remember when we first moved down here, going to the Opry for the first time. And um, I'm trying to think of who was playing um, the guy who plays the banjo, the, um, kind of jazz banjo, um, Creole serenaders. Why am I forgetting his name? Sam Alfano? No. <laughs> I forget. Who. I'm drawing a blank on his name. I'll get it later. But I remember I remember being there that night and listening to this stuff, and I thought I just, I had this, I thought, man, this, this feels like going back to the 1930s, and it, it was just such a wonderful thing to see. Not only is there roots music, but there really seemed like an audience. And then, you know, uh, I guess it was just a year and a half ago, actually getting to play the Abita Opry myself. I'm like, it's it's a, it's a wonderful thing to actually have a, a a group of people that show up in a room to actually listen to music, and it's a wonderful thing for the performers as well as the crowd. You know, and 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 it seems like such a uh, such a rare thing these days for to have any kind of venues like that, that are kind of a community thing where, you know, so I, I, I love it's, that aspect. It's, it's, it's a gumbo that cooks, <laughs> you know, we have this hundred year old plus wooden building. Yeah. You know, and, uh, the sound guy, uh, my sound producer, Ken Burkle is a production manager and uh, he's a super professional yeah. sound guy. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's all over New Orleans. He does jazz fest sound and, yeah. and a lot of stuff. But he said this room's golden. Yeah, it is. As far as the acoustics and the sound. But I don't know. It's, it's just a, uh, it, like I said, it's a gumbo that cooks. All the ingredients come together yeah. to make a wonderful whole. And the musicians love it. I have a long line of musicians who really want to come play on our show. They like the idea of being in a wholesome atmosphere. They're on the stage at the town hall. It's got all the elements, the lights, the cameras, and a big audience who is attentive and appreciates and loves good music. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then we have a local charitable group behind the stage at the bar. They selling homemade gumbo and homemade (laughs) treats and a bit of coffee and soft drinks and you know it's in the energy and the the uh the level of uh communication between the musicians and the audience you know with you know 400 people in a 5,000 square foot space you know and 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 it just is is the energy. Yeah. It just transmits from musician to audience and back to musician. Yeah, and and you know, and so it's just one of those things that all works. And I think Crispin, that the real uh, success of the show is that you know we do you know have to charge admission. Yeah, but we're not putting on a show to make money. Yeah. 
we're making money in order to make music. Yeah. We're not making music in order to make money. Yeah. You know, we are a nonprofit, and we stay strict to our mission of preserving and presenting Louisiana Roots music. So is the Abita Springs Opry actually a, a, its organization? It's a nonprofit uh, corporation. Okay. And it's uh, Abita Opry Incorporated, and we have a board of directors. But each member of the board of directors actually has a function that they perform at the show. For example, myself, I'm yeah. the MC. I oversee the operation. I contact the musicians. uh I go out and hustle sponsorships, corporate yeah. sponsorships, and uh, I arrange each show, you know, based on uh, what the board of directors acts, you know, decides they want to see. In other words, we, we have two meetings a year before each season, and well before each season, we sit down, and one, we conduct business for the corporation, and secondly, we have a music committee of musicians yeah <laughs> you know uh and because just about everybody involved in my uh, board of directors are musicians and i wanted it that way because they would you know be uh sympathetic and understanding yeah. and uh and have empathy for the musicians and what they have to do in order to put on a performance yeah so we go through the list of prospects, come up with new prospects, and then we line out the three shows that we're going to do for the season. And once we line out, you know, who we're going to contact, then it gets to be my job to contact them. So here we go. You know, now I'm dealing with musicians. So I got, God bless you. I get on the phone, I get on the email, and I... I say, okay, look, because uh, we have to line out each show to have the right variety and to have a good closing act. Yeah, because you, you have four, four acts per four show. Four acts right? per show, 28 minutes per set, mm -hmm. and we always like to finish strong. Mm -hmm. So, And we have to build the show properly based on the musicians. So now I'm dealing with, okay, I'm going to line out this show. I have to contact. A musician, oh, can you make the uh, March show? Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Okay, you got a spot. And then I call a similar act and say, hey, man, can you make the April show? No, we booked out, but, you know, we have, a, we have an availability in March. Okay, let me see what I can do. Then I got to go back to the first musician I caught. I mean, this yeah. goes on for about a month. Oh, yeah. Herding cats. <laughs> and, and it goes on for about a month. And once the month's over, I finally, you know, hopefully get everybody lined out. Everybody's agreed to perform. And so we go from there. But that that's an interesting part of the job is getting in touch with the musicians. And, you know, some of them live in New Orleans. We've had the last show, we had some people from uh, Mobile. Yeah. Uh, and we had some folks... Uh, some Cajun musicians from uh, over around uh, Baton Rouge. And then, you know, so we get them from all over. Yeah. We've had acts from as far away as Lake Charles and 
I mean, we even had some people touring through. Some guys come from New York. Wow. Well, they were touring through it. Somebody put me yeah. on to them, um, <laughs> a group called the Spirit Family Reunion. And they're great musicians. Wow. And, uh, well, anyway, they were touring, I guess busking. I don't know what they were doing. You know? Yeah. And uh, they showed up. <laughs> they showed up in a van. And, I mean... We're talking like this thing was a raggedy old van. They had New York license plates. I said, you, you, I told them, I said, y'all drove that thing all the way from New York? And they said, by the hardest. But they got on our stage and put on a great show. Yeah. You know, so and we've had them from Colorado. We've had, them for, we've had people from all over the country come yeah. to see the show. It's been like, you know, for me, being a retired guy yeah. is like, Man, this is so fulfilling. <laughs> well, I know when, when I played here, I guess it was a year and a half ago at the thing, actually most of my band, the, the bass player and the guy playing um, the washboard and the violinist, they were all from Texas, so they, and, it, and it was from the Houston area. And so I'd actually had them come in to join me on this, and then I had a drummer from New Orleans and, and Keenan who, uh, out there in Bogalusa who plays with me a lot. But... Uh, the, the the guys from Texas were just like, we've never seen anything like this, you know? And and they were just, they went home just raving like, this is the, this is the coolest thing ever. And I was like, yeah. And, and, and here it is like, not, you know, a mile away from my house. And uh, yeah, it, re- it really is a, a special thing. Uh, we had a, a, a group of Zydeco musicians and we're talking root Zydeco. These guys were a real deal. <laughs> it was a guy, a group called Jockey H E N and the Creole Zydeco Farmers. That's about as <laughs> from Zydeco up, as you uh, get. <laughs> up north of Lafayette, up to yeah. one, you know, Opelousas yeah. and, and that area, Lawtel and Swords and Maye. And anyway, that's Zydeco country. And these guys were from there, and they were as authentic as authentic gets. They, and they have played all over the world. They've toured. Yeah. And I'm talking to the guy, and, I mean, he could barely speak English, uh, uh, Jockey H-E-N. And uh, i never forget, I'm talking to him on the phone. He's got an international phone number and everything like that. And, and uh, anyway, I'm talking to him on the phone, he's speaking in his broken English. You know, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to come do the show, we're going to do the show, whatever. You, you, you give it the day, we'll be there. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, well, look, um, why don't you give me your email address and we'll communicate by email, and that way I'll have it on record and everything like that. Man, I don't even know how to turn one of them things on. <laughs> you don't have a computer, yeah. but yet he's played internationally. But they came and played at the show, and he told me, he said, we'll come anytime you want wow. to play. Because, first of all, the sound production is outstanding. Yeah. They said it's the best sound production they've had. And they like everybody else, a musician who play in clubs and play at dances and stuff like that. But now they're playing purely to the audience who wants to hear yeah. what they're doing. And they just love it, man. It's been, Crispin has been probably about the most rewarding thing that I've done. Yeah. You know, and it keeps me fulfilled as a retired person to have purpose and to be involved in something 
really great and great cultural preservation. And it all grew out of my love for Louisiana studies, Louisiana history, uh, my love for music, you know. So, I mean, I've been blessed to be able to do all the stuff I did, teaching and coaching and being a mayor and playing music and... But I won't play on my show. I think that's one of the things I, because I grew up out in West Texas, which is, you know, about as far from Southeast Louisiana as you can get, uh, culture-wise and, and uh, even, you know, uh, the weather and all that. Um, but I moved down to Louisiana probably about 25 years ago, and I've, I've lived in Southeast, Southeast Louisiana, either Hammond or New Orleans area or here, but... I think that's one of the things that I just found pretty beautiful um, having traveled a lot playing music around the country that in Louisiana there there is the music is tied to the history and the culture you know where you you, you go to Houston you go to I mean there's there's pockets of, of I mean obviously in Texas there's there's pockets of stuff culturally but I find in so many places in the United States the the actual indigenous culture just gets overrun by uh everything else and it, it is wonderful down here in louisiana whether it's you know abita or new orleans uh to there there is still a connection of the music to the actual roots of and the history of the place that you don't experience hardly uh in any other place in the in the country to the same level down here and uh as a as a guy who grew up playing piano um Man, I've just been in heaven <laughs> down here because there's there's so much. Well, in Louisiana, I mean, it's just that people love the music for the sake of the music. Yeah. You know, and people produce the music and people record the music, people play the music for the sake of the music. Yeah. And the the I mean, we have so many things that were invented in Louisiana when it comes to music. You know, I mentioned too, Cajun, Zydeco, uh, traditional New Orleans jazz. I mean, jazz was invented in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it grew from there. But, you know, when you really, you know, think about Louisiana, Louisiana is a such a diverse place. We have three specific identifiable cultural groups in Louisiana. Uh, we have what an area, and I'm not going to get into the geography of it, but it's the 
called the Cajun Triangle, you know, which is centered around Lafayette, yeah. all the way up to Alexandria, you know, from Baton Rouge to Lake Charles. And then we have the upland southern culture uh, of North Louisiana and the northern part of what we call the Florida parishes where we live. Yeah. And that cultural area is more like the traditional upland southern culture, uh, like other, you know, Mississippi and Alabama and other southern states. Yeah. And then we have New Orleans, which is the creolized area of New Orleans, which in itself encompasses a myriad of cultures. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, and it's such, so, so rich. Like, for example, if you go to the heart of Cajun country, you have one town, Roberts Cove, Louisiana, which has this big German Oktoberfest. <laughs> you know, because it had a strong, yeah. big German population. And you go down around uh, New Iberia, which is the name for Spain, uh, and that area was settled by people from Spain. And then you had a lot of people who gravitated into Cajun country from the Midwest uh, in the late 1800s because of a drought and came there and learned how to grow rice. Mm. You know, around Crowley, and they they got a little town in western in Cajun country called Iowa. I O W A. That's how you say it. <laughs> they say Iowa in Louisiana. So, but these people all became, and for lack of a better term that I'm going to use, I'm getting into my Louisiana history teaching now. <laughs> Cajunized. On. Yeah. The uh, Cajun culture in Louisiana was so uh, deep. Uh, Cajun people were so tenacious about their culture that the people who moved into these areas from other parts of the world and other parts of the United States uh, learned how to speak Cajun French. Oh, really? Wow. And, yeah, in other words, it became Cajun. Yes, yeah. You know, so, so it's, it's um, uh, understanding Cajun culture is understanding that so many people who are Cajuns are not descendants of the original Acadians yeah. <laughs> uh, who came from Canada. And it's like uh, all Acadians are Cajuns, but not all Cajuns are Acadians, you know. But once again, it's, it's more of a language, a cultural thing that uh, is a very, very important part of Louisiana. But then... You go to New Orleans and, you know, people from all over the world. Yeah. And, and that blend, that gumbo of cultures in New Orleans is what gave us the rich, the food, mm -hmm. the music. And Abita Springs, getting back to Abita Springs, it's unique in St. Tammany Parish, in the parish in which we live. Yes, it is. It's uh, it's an eclectic town. Uh, it's a town where you have varying lifestyles uh, of people, and people are very um, accepting yeah. of people who move here. Uh, it's and, and I've come across a few things recently, magazine articles and stuff. Vita's been uh, characterized as 
the um, uh, most unique community in Louis in the United States. Wow, the most charming community, uh, the most eclectic community, and one of the best ones is they had an article on the most hippie community <laughs> in all 50 states. And that. and I knew before I even looked through all of the 50 states that Abita Springs was be the community <laughs> in Louisiana that would have the title, the most hippie town in the state of Louisiana. And, and we do have that cultural yeah. group. We have a lot of old hippies in oh, Louisiana. Yeah. We have a great artist community. You know, it's a real wonderful little pocket of diverse culture yeah. in in St. Tammany Parish, which is a very uh, very Republican conservative parish yeah. uh, in the state of Louisiana. But Abita Springs has got its own little unique. Yeah. <laughs> Pocket of identity right smack dab in the middle of St. Tammany Parish. Yeah. I love it. I know. <laughs> well, we were looking at, so it, it was funny. So when I first moved here, I was living in Hammond. I went to SLU and graduated uh, from there as well with my history degree. But I met my wife there, and she grew up in uh, Faraday, Louisiana, another music town. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we ended up moving from Hammond after about eight years there to, to Kenner. And we lived in Kenner for about seven years and uh, loved the people there. But the, the actual town itself just didn't have much in the way of personality. And so when we were getting ready to move to the North Shore, I, I, I was like, let's let's look at Abita Springs, you know? And, uh, and because we'd come over to the brew pub before and stuff like that. And she goes, well, I don't want to, you know, I grew up in a small town. I don't want to do that anymore. You know, I'm, 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 I'm like being in the city. And, and she was just like, I'm just, I don't want to live in some small town again. I was like, I don't think Abita's going to be quite the same thing. And it, it was funny because we, we ended up moving over to the Southwind subdivision over there off 59 and uh, just to try it out. We rented a house there just to see if we liked the town. And uh, it was so funny because I would say half of our neighbors there were people from St. Bernard Parish who moved over after Katrina, which I hadn't really ever hung around many people from St. Bernard either. And I'm like, wonderful, wonderful, super nice people. And, uh, and uh, it, it, but it was just such an interesting thing because after after about a year here we're like oh yeah this is perfect this is exactly what we were looking for because it's it's though it's a small town it doesn't feel you know what what often what what you often think of in a small town with, with people being very closed minded and afraid of outsiders and things like that it, it it it's like no it's it's a very welcoming community there's a sense you can you know do your thing there's an appreciation of the arts there's appreciation of community and uh yeah we've we've uh no uh, beat is always you know you, you knew in town come on in jump yeah. in get involved <laughs> yeah you know and that's the way people in abita have always no they haven't no it's not the um uh you know a lot of uh small communities in the south are very insular yeah they have a understanding of how things are. They have, you know, a lot of interrelationships among people and uh, a stratified type 
uh, uh, living situation. And for some reason or another, Abita has never gotten there. Yeah. It has never, you know, it's, it's just like you said, I, I moved here and uh, in 19, uh, I bought this house that we're speaking in now. I bought this house in 1977 and, and well, by 1979, I was serving on the zoning commission. <laughs> And in uh, 1986, I was elected to the town hall, council. In 1990, yeah. I was elected mayor. I wasn't from here. Nobody said, well, you know, you're not from here. Yeah. That wasn't an issue. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and that's just, you know, the way, the way this town operates. I'm interested to know what does it look like being a, a mayor of a of, of Beta Springs. What what is what does one do? I mean, obviously, there's probably zoning things and stuff like that. But what's a typical day in the life of a small town Beta Springs mayor uh, look like? Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, people say, well, you know, when you're mayor uh, of a small town, people are always buttonholing you. You know, because I see you around everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I had uh, I had my number in a phone book. And I remember never... what phone books were, kids. <laughs> yeah, phone yeah. books. I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, my number was published. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I don't think you know it was. I would maybe get a phone call a month from somebody. Yeah. People respected my privacy as mayor, but I had an open door at the office, you know, and uh, I always made it my business to ride around town and see people and wave to them and talk to them. And I even rode my bike. I used to like to ride my bike around town. <laughs> and, uh, Anyway, my favorite story. A small town, you're directly in contact with the people all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're directly in contact with the people all the time. And I was teaching school and running the town. I'd make appointments after school. You know, I had to give up my coaching when I became mayor. Yeah. And I would, you know, make appointments with people uh, after school, uh you know, all summer long during holiday breaks and stuff like that, I was at the town hall and I was able to stay in contact with, you know, my office staff, you know, by cellular communication. But, you know, when I was in the classroom, I was in the classroom, never got called out of the classroom to handle town business. 
And so I, I don't know. It just worked out. I was able to do it. Uh, but being mayor of a town, a small town like Abita, I I like people. I like being yeah. out. I I was at the you know Abita Springs Cafe every morning, uh, having coffee and talking to folks. Uh, just you know, like you said, riding around town. I'd ride around town on a Sunday afternoon and spot things that needed to be done and I'd make a punch list to get my supervisory crew in the morning and um just see people and you know talk to them uh my favorite story is one Sunday afternoon um a guy called me up guy he said mayor man he said I'm so sorry I'm sorry I have to bother you I'm apologizing right now to call you on a Sunday afternoon I said what's the problem he said well we're just moving in we just bought a house we're moving into town and we contacted the town office to get our utilities turned on but they never got turned on and we're trying to move in. We don't have any water. We don't have any natural gas. I said, okay, well, let me see what I could do. <laughs> so I had a little pickup truck. I, had, I got a wrench, and I had the meter key <laughs> to unlock the meter and to go start, get the utilities <laughs> turned on. So I just drove down there, my little truck over there on, uh, I think, about uh, 9th Street. I forgot where it was, but I, I got out my truck. And I was just in my, you know, my shorts, my Sunday afternoon clothes, you know, and got down and turned on the mayor and said, hey, man, okay, you got, you got your juice, you got water, you got gas, you know. He said, man, he said, it happened so fast. I just talked to the mayor. Would you please thank him for me? <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, look, I, you know, I'm the mayor. I said, you know, he said, well, no, what do you mean? You, you, the mayor's going to, I mean, this guy, you know, thought the mayor, you know, like this is New Orleans or someplace. And I said, man, this is a small town. It's the way we operate. Yeah. You know? And uh, I never get <laughs> So, you know, and that's how I got to meet people. I know yeah. one guy was moving into his house. I was out campaigning for office. I was in my car, and a guy was wrestling with a big dresser to try to get it. I said, well, man, let me help you out. And uh, so I helped him heft the dresser. We went into the house and put the big old dresser down. He said, man, thanks a lot. He said, I appreciate it. He said, I don't know you. He said, you live in this neighborhood? I said, no, I'm the mayor. I'm out campaigning for real action. <laughs> Good way to campaign. <laughs> oh, well, so anyway, you know, and, but then I got to meet so many people, yeah. make yeah. so many friends, you know, and I mean, I have so many connections in Abita, the kids I taught, the kids I coached, the uh, musicians and people through music I've got associated with and uh, you know, just my just my community friends yeah. who, you know, so it's allowed me to have a lot of tentacles as far as human relationships. Yeah. Which is okay. That's what I like. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> no kidding.
Well, one one of the one of my favorite things the last few years, and I don't know if this is connected to the Abita Opry or if this is a, a another project, but the talk about the Busker Fest. Well, that's a great thing, man. I just love it. Now, once again, for the uh, benefit of the audience uh, who's listened to this <laughs> podcast, who doesn't know what a busker is? Yeah. A busker is a traveling musician, a street musician who plays on the street for tips. Yeah. And what happened was I got in touch with uh, a group of musicians who play traditional jazz, and they play it very well. And the name of the group was Tuba Skinny. Oh, yeah. And it, I think it was kind of a takeoff on a guy named Tuba Fats. Yeah. Uh, and because, but he's not a big guy, you know, he's a skinny guy to play the tuba, so they named themselves Tuba Skinny. Anyway, I, ha- I brought him to the stage and they ripped it. I mean, the audience was amazed. Now, was this at the Opry? This was at about? the okay. Abita gotcha. Springs Opry. And the audience was amazed at the power of the performance. Now, interestingly enough, the buskers in New Orleans, there's, there's a community of them. They yeah. all know each other. Oh, yeah. And a lot of times they switch back and forth in, you know, and play music with different groups. Some of them play a variety of music. Some of them, it's like, I know, uh, anyway, getting off that subject, the buskers, by and large, were young people who gravitated to New Orleans after Katrina. Many of them came in to do relief work like AmeriCorps and people like that who are musicians, but they found out that, hey, you could get out on the street and play music. You could play jazz. You could play jug band music. You could play country music. And uh, so some of these kids came in and they started studying the traditional music forms because, you know, when they were on Royal Street uh, with a tip bucket out there playing music, they were playing music that the tourists wanted to hear. They were playing traditional music. They studied up on it. They learned it. And they really got... And, and, and the thing about it is, when you're on the street playing music, and you're depending on the money going in your tip bucket as a means of your livelihood, you really need to put something out there that's going to make somebody stop and want to drop yeah. money in that tip bucket. And so it occurred to me that these buskers, these kids, and I say kids, most of them are very young people, yeah. uh, are maintaining our cultural tradition. They come from all over the country. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you start asking these people, where they're from. I mean, they from every part of the United States of America. They've gravitated to New Orleans and have embraced our music forms and right now have provided a vibrancy mm-hmm. to the New Orleans music scene that I haven't seen in my 70-plus years of life. Yeah. You know, and I grew up in the New Orleans area, in New Orleans. But anyway, they went to the stage. Tuba Skinny performed. I said, wow, man. It blew the audience away. And later on, I had another musician, uh, Mashia Lake, and her group, the Little Bighorns, they did the same thing. Matter of fact, when she started 
singing, uh, it was an interesting thing because Mashia is tatted up. She got tattoos yeah. all over, <laughs> you know. Beautiful girl, but she's yeah. just got a lot of tattoos. And uh, But she got on a stage, and I could see the audience members were starting to nudge each other and point at her tattoos. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway... She got on a stage, and she did her first song. Well, she is such a great musician, such a great singer, that as soon as she opened her mouth and started to sing, as far as the artists are concerned, the tattoos went away. Yeah. They went away. And I looked at the expression on her face after she sang her first song. The audience gave it uproarious applause. <laughs> And she started, it was almost like somebody hit her on the face, like, gee, I don't, I don't ever get this, you yeah, know? Yeah, And so then the busker started contacting me. But it occurred to him, I said, man, the audience loves these kids so much. And they play with such energy and such drive. And they're playing traditional music that it occurred to me that we need a festival specific to them. Yeah. And so we started out with the Abita Springs Busker Festival. And that has, I mean, it's grown into a wonderful event. Uh, Last year we had six acts on a stage. We had people busking at the uh, Abita Brew Pub. We had people busking at Rosie's Bar, (laughs) which are in close proximity to the... uh, Thing, the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival Foundation uh, covers uh, 50% of the cost of musicians. And uh, another is WWOZ Radio uh, uh, live streams it. Yeah. And we've had people from all over the world have contacted and seen the Abita Springs Busker Festival. <laughs> And but I would, you know, for people who are listening to what we're talking about, I would suggest that they go to our website, if you don't mind me saying that. Oh, for sure. Uh, go to our website, uh, abita, A-B-I-T-A, opry.org. And it'll take you to our homepage. And you can uh, look at the homepage and, and they have a place that you can uh, run your mouse to and click that says listening to past performances and we have the videos of all of our shows that are loaded onto our website Mm -hmm. and so you can see them and you can see some of the people we're talking about and we also have the busker festivals uh, that uh, we have the videos from the busker festivals that are loaded onto our website so you can see the Busker Festivals, too. Now, how many years has the Busker Festival been going on? Uh, we're doing it now for five years. Okay. Uh, you, Yeah. In any way, we weren't originally live-streamed on WWOZ. But we have for the last three years. Yeah. But uh, you can go and... Um, or you can go online and do a Beater Springs Busker Festival. Yeah. All you got to do is just type in Google Abita Springs Busker Festival, and you can see the videos yeah. from the Busker Festival. 
Uh, and I mean, it's, you know, and you can hear it all. You can hear country. You can hear uh, jazz. You can hear great jug band music. It's all there. And, and it's it's a free festival, too. A lot of people don't realize that, right? So No, it's, it's, it's open, just, just open, open to the public. Yeah, we don't charge any money for it. We um, we we have different, you know, like the museum committee will have. They'll be selling beer and you know beverages there, and we have different vendors like local businesses come and sell some great food. Oh yeah, we got it all at the Busker Festival. We got you know we have craft vendors. Uh, we have uh, food prepared like by the Abita Springs Cafe and other people, some really great food. And then we also have, you know, beverages. And it's just a great way to spend a spring Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, in a great surroundings. It's a beautiful venue, the open stage by the Abita Springs Museum. And it's right next to the Beat a Brew Pub and Rosie's Bar. And people, they just kind of gravitate and yep. drift around to all three areas. It's, uh, you know, it's just been one of the best things I've done. It's just a great. Uh, and I would like to mention uh, for the people who are listening, it's April 22nd at the Abita Springs Trailhead. And it will take place from 11 to 7. We have six acts on stage, and there'll be other musicians performing. Bring your own chair or blanket or something. Bring your chair. Bring your, yeah, bring your blanket, your chair to sit down on, and just prepare to, be prepared to spend a great day listening to great music, get yourself something to eat, knock, a, knock back a few of beat of beers. Yeah. You know, and uh, <laughs> it really is one of my favorite music festivals, and and it because it is just it's such great music. It's nice to be outside, and it doesn't cost anything. <laughs> well, you know, it's like the video crew for WWOZ, and they do a lot of stuff. Yeah, and they tell you this is our favorite festival. Yeah, yeah. You know, once again, we got this whole spiritual magic thing of a beat yeah. of springs. Uh, right there, you know, with this hundred and something year old gazebo, a 50 foot yeah. wide gazebo and the stage and the museums right there. And it's just, you know, it's great surroundings and, uh, it's just a fun place to be. And, you know, it just, I don't know. Once again, it all works. A beat of springs. Everybody loves to use our name. We got a beat of beer, yeah. <laughs> a beat of coffee, a beat of springs opry, town of a beat of springs, a beat of lumber, a beat of lumber. I'm, yeah, I don't know. It's I'm just trying like, to come like, up with something to beat of myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know what was funny? The so um, when the night my band played at the opry a couple years ago. Um, Jessica, the girl who played fiddle in my band, uh, her husband was is named Nate, and he, uh, when they were visiting New Orleans several years ago, he saw Tuba Skinny and uh, Watch Washboard Chess, uh, just at different venues, and he decided, I want to play the washboard, and so he goes and builds this washboard, kind of based on what he saw with these other guys, and so it was such a the little after jam at the Brew Pub that night after the Opry was over. 
which um, a lot of the musicians gather over yeah, there. Yeah, so we, we jam. Yeah, we jam. So it, it was kind of funny because we go over there and we're jamming afterwards, and um, we talk to the to the uh, washboard player for Tuba Skinny, which was really kind of one of Nate's idols, you know. And uh, so we got him up there. We did dueling washboard solos and there the, you go <laughs> in the middle we had an acoustic guitar accordion and two washboards and uh and nate was just uh on cloud nine at the end of the evening because he was just like this that that was one of the guys that even got him into playing it and i was so i was like yeah this is so cool that he could come in from texas play and then actually uh get to to meet one of the people that got him interested in in it to begin with so uh yeah that was cool yeah you mentioned washboard chairs as a as a case in point of a guy you know, he's in New Orleans. He's a people love washboard chairs. Chairs Leary, nice yeah. guy. Yeah. And he's been played music for us several times. And he's got such a great sound. I mean, if you go to the Spotted Cat on Frenchman oh, Street yeah. and Chaz is playing, the place is packed. Yep. But uh he loves coming to play for us. He's played at our festival. He played at the Busker Festival. Uh I think one of the first ones we had. But Chaz is from Colorado. Oh, is he? I didn't know that. He was a mayor of a small town in Colorado. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we got to talking, you know, and stuff like that. But Chaz was a mayor from a small town in Colorado who drifted to New Orleans, and now he's washboard Chaz. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, they even have the Chaz Fest. Yeah, my, my daughter has played that two year, the last two years. Yeah, I think what it was is uh, I think that uh, Chaz played a jazz fest, and one year jazz fest didn't invite him, so he they decided to get together and go in the, uh, downtown back in the Bywater area. Oh, yeah. And they said, okay, we're going to have our own festival called Chaz Fest. Which is it's a fantastic little festival, too. Yes, Another it is. Another one of these little hidden, hidden gems. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like uh, last weekend they had a Sister Street Festival, which is the Lower Ninth Ward, the Holy Cross neighborhood, mm-hmm. where a lot of the buskers live. So they decided to have a little festival in an open grassy area, did a levee yeah. uh, on a street that runs alongside the levee, uh, the Industrial Canal. It's called Sister Street. And so they had the Sister Street Festival. Wow. You know, but then, and that was uh, Matt and Bette Bell and Joy Patterson, mm-hmm. who, uh, they come up here to play music every Sunday at the uh, Sunday brunch at the Oxlot 9 at the uh, Southern Hotel in Covington. And they'll, you know, and they, but, you know, you're talking about New Orleans being the birthplace of jazz, but there's a big, vibrant country music scene in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, they have the Old Time Covered Dish Country Music Jamboree at the Dragon's Den every Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. And uh, But a lot of the bands, like, like Matt Bell, he will play in a jazz band. Mm-hmm. He'll play in a country band. He's got another band that does a variety of music called the, um, well, the Wasted Lies is a country band mm-hmm. that he plays with. And then he has the Western Sweethearts that do Western Swing. And then they had the Bad Penny Pleasure Makers who do a jazzy type thing. Yeah. Uh, he'll play with several other bands. Versatility of New Orleans musicians. What they say about New Orleans musicians is, you know, uh, they 
have maybe a thousand musicians in New Orleans and five thousand bands. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that and that's one of the things I think that that actually even makes the the more traditional, you know, the the country and stuff. Even that you can, it, it's got a different personality to it because the it, it really does seem like you know the guys that. Yeah, because if you're going to like make a living as a musician down here, you have to play a little jazz, a little blues, a little country, a little you know Zydek, you know you 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 all these things kind of intermingle, which uh, and, I think and it puts a depth into what you're playing. It does, it does, yeah. You know, it's like uh, the um, I, I noticed that 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 guys from this area who play bluegrass music, uh, it has a uh, different texture, uh, I guess a different depth or a different uh, thing going because of the other influences that are bleeding into what they're playing. Yeah. As opposed to some guy from Tennessee who's playing bluegrass or Kentucky, which is great. It's wonderful yeah. music. But once again, uh, a guy down here play. He might have played rock and roll in a band. He might have played jazz. He might have played something else. And there he is doing some bluegrass picking. Yeah. So you know, once again, it's hard for those influences to be exclusive of the music you're playing. You yeah. Know? And but you know, some of the best things I've heard. You know, you talk about country music and jazz, but. Del McCrory and the Preservation Hall Jazz Band. Oh, Del McCrory yeah. is one of the best bluegrass, yeah. pure bluegrass musicians around. And he uh, couples himself with the Preservation Hall Jazz Band from New Orleans and comes out with this amazingly beautiful sound. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Merle Haggard, when he was in New Orleans and played at the Municipal Auditorium, they had a jazz band there playing music yeah. with him, too. So, you know, music's music. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, and it's, uh, you know, but once again, the, the rich tapestry of music in this area. And I've heard Cajun bands play traditional country songs, you know, and I've heard country bands play traditional Cajun songs, yep. <laughs> you know. And, you know, so it's hard for those musical styles not to intermingle in this area. Yeah. I love it because I, yeah, I think, I think so often if you live in another part of country, you may have country or you may have a blues thing in your, in your area, but it is, uh, it, it really is interesting. You know, just my experience of it is like you, you begin to see the relationship between blues and country and gospel and, and I mean, heck even rock and roll, uh, you know, I know <laughs> has come out of here as well. You know, the, 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 the musical tree. Uh, and the evolution of various musical forms, uh, you know, historically, you do have a, uh, a crossover that's occurring. For example, uh, the evolution of jazz music in New Orleans, uh, you know, following the Civil War, a lot of the uh, musicians and people who lived up in the Delta who originated that original Delta blues music. Mm -hmm. A lot of them gravitated to New Orleans where they could get work at the port of New Orleans and they brought their music with them. And then you had other guys who were playing um, uh, in the body houses on uh, Storyville in New Orleans. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> but they were being able to experiment with the music and play yeah. different stuff. 
and all the way back to Congo Square in New Orleans, where uh, prior to the Civil War, slaves uh, were allowed to go there on a Sunday afternoon and play African music and sell, you know, traditional crafts. But, you know, all these music and people listen to the different kinds of music and they put them all together and blended them. And, you know, what comes out of that? Jazz music. Yeah. You know? And New Orleans R&B, you know? And and that was one of the precursors for rock and roll. Yeah. You know? And country music was brought into it. I mean, the father of country music is considered to be Jimmy Rogers. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to Jimmy Rogers, he's doing blues. Yeah, he is. He's doing blues. Uh, Hank Williams, a lot of his songs were very bluesy. Yeah, yeah. You know, but that grew out into country music, you know, because they brought in, uh, you know, like the Carter family, who played traditional mountain music, and, and, and they blended into today what we call country music. Yeah. You know, so the, I don't know if there was ever... You know, I mean, just uh, the, the, the richness of the music, you know, and it's interesting that development of American music, rock and roll, uh, blues, jazz, country, it's all Southern. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. You know, it grew out to other parts of the country, yeah. but where it, where it emanated from was in the South, I guess. I don't know. For some reason, it just... Seemed to be a, a area that gravitated that that I don't know people, I guess played more music. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank goodness they did. <laughs> well, what uh, what do you see as kind of uh, you got any thoughts about future of of culture down here, music and Abita? Anything? Uh, any closing thoughts on where things are going down here? Well, the only thing I can say is I'm going to do my share to keep it rolling. Yeah. That's, you know, to keep it going. Uh, And, uh, you know, I guess the best thing you could do is I don't know if there's any type of way that I can guarantee its perpetuation after I'm not here anymore. Well, hopefully will be for a long time. Uh, But that's an inevitability, but at, you know, I can only do, and you can only do, we all can only do what we can do to um, keep the music alive, to keep it going, to be part of the long string of musicians who some are still here, some are gone. Fast Domino's music will never die. Yeah. You know, because Fast Domino played the music, you know. Uh, the music being played at the Abita Springs Opry will never die. It's preserved uh, and electronically. And so, I don't know, you know. It's, it's all part of the organic growth of this wonderful musical cultural tradition that we have in Louisiana. And... I guess basically the best thing that we could say about ourselves, you as a musician and me as a music producer, is that, you know, we just are part of the continuum of what is a wonderful American art form. Yeah. 
you know, so we can all contribute the best way we can uh, and, uh, you know, enjoy playing it, enjoy being part of it, and, uh, but also with the understanding that uh, it's so important. Cultural identity is so important. You know, and I tried to impart this to my students when I was teaching them. Understand your culture, understand your roots, understand where you came from. Identify yourself, you know, develop a deeper understanding of who you are by all of the influence that goes into what you're part of. Yeah. You know, so that, and I tried to impart that to my students. Yeah. As much as I could, you know. <laughs> I had a, a boom box when I was teaching in the classroom, and I collected a nice collection of CDs of Louisiana music. And I was teaching eighth graders. And uh, so I talked to them about jazz and the improvisation and how the music's put together. And, uh, and sometimes I'd start playing the music and the kids would laugh at it. You know, but what would happen as time went on, uh, the kids, uh, I said, okay, we're going to do some seat work. You start on your assignment, you know, that you have to do for tomorrow. And they start asking, Mr. Gowan, can we listen to some Zydeco music? Can we listen to some Cajun music? How about some <laughs> New Orleans jazz? And one of them was uh, the kids love Professor Longhair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know one of the kids said, uh, all right. Uh, we're gonna start our assignment for tomorrow. Y'all can y'all can open up your books and here's the study questions on the board. Y'all can get started on this. And if you finish not, and, and, and one of the kids, Mister Gowan, how about that fest guy? Can you put the fest on? And then <laughs> Professor Longhead. So, you know, so hopefully it grew into them too. You yeah. know, and just you know, so my part as a teacher to try to get them to appreciate it helped me develop the deep appreciation yeah. of it and helped me connect and gave me the motivation to want to do the Abita Springs Opry after I retired from being mayor. Here yeah. I am. Yeah. Having a great time. <laughs> well, I, I, I think I think that's one of the the real bright spots I see just, just here personally, but um, you know, in a world that is so crazy right now and politically divided and people at each other's throats to I, I think the more that you can create experiences that bring people together you know and get people outside of themselves a little bit and participating in community and, and I don't think of anything anything that has the power to do that quite the way that music does you know and that uh, I mean I've even seen with my own son you know who's who's 14 now and he's he's starting to pick up the guitar and you know, he's, he's getting real into playing Led Zeppelin and stuff, but you know, some, some of the first live things that, that he got to experience years ago when we moved here was taking him to the Abita, uh, Opry and, you know, and, and it, it is, it, 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 when he saw tuba skinny a couple of years ago, it's kind of funny. Now he's playing tuba, you know, and, and here, here's a kid that had, you know, kind of like you said, the kids in your class didn't really have an, an understanding or, or even like, Louisiana music and yet they didn't know it they didn't know it but there's something about experiencing it live that that even more than just recorded when you get to actually experience this the magic actually happened it impacts you 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 can't whether you think you like it or not 
there is something just powerful of, of several people on stage that are doing this thing together. And, uh, and so I, I see even in my own family that, you know, that, that just how that's been a cool thing. And I, you know, I, I think that, that Abita is in, in all the, in all the crazy craziness in the world there, it's, it's a, a nice oasis where that, where you do see, uh, people coming together, you know, uh, you know, it, it's interesting that, you know, there is, you know, the, and, and I hate to get into the politics, but the political dynamic in a country right now is division. Yeah. Uh, is division and it's uh, tribalism at its worst. It is. Uh, but at the same time, at the Abita Springs Opry, nobody cares about what your political affiliation yeah. is. Uh, you know, what your political philosophy is. I mean, all that goes away, and we get into the reality of life, and that's the things that actually uh, bring us together and give us fulfillment, you know. And uh, so if I could do something that kind of gets people to forget about the angst that's yeah. going on around us and get involved into the things that do, uh, you know, I mean, it's interesting, you know, that the, the, the political uh, situation is so uh, divisive and so um, anger-driven, but then, you know, when you get past that, the people, most people are good people, they work, yeah. they do what they got to do to take care of their family and their kids and uh, you know, and, and live their life every day. And, you know, the thing that we all have in common are those things, you know, and the things we enjoy, the things we like to do, you know. You know, you go to a Mardi Gras parade in New Orleans and all of a sudden you're surrounded by a bunch of people and first thing you know, you carry on conversations and you developed a little social group of the people who are around you at the parade catching beads and giving them to the little kids and you know and all of a sudden like i said the other stuff goes out the window yeah and 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 that's what we i guess i can focus on i mean i can only do what i could do you know i ran i served four terms in office in uh, probably the most Republican parish in Louisiana, and I'm a Democrat. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the four terms I ran for mayor, I think maybe one person uh, asked me what my party affiliation was. <laughs> really? No, I mean, it didn't matter. Yeah. It didn't matter. They, they, and, and so that, that was, hey, if they were happy, if the town was being run well and everything was going good, Nobody gave, nobody yeah. gave a care for what political party I belong to, or, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. So uh, hopefully we'll go through this rough period, Yeah, you know, in American history. You know, in my growing up, I mean, I lived through presidential assassination, two candidates being, uh, one being assassinated and one being wounded Martin Luther King being assassinated uh, uh, Ronald Reagan getting shot yeah. uh, Gerald Ford people attempted that lady attempted to shoot him and uh, two impeachments 
I mean, yeah, but here we are rocking along. Yeah. You know, so this this little, you know, part of it, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, we'll be rocking along. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Enjoying good music yeah. and enjoying life. You know, that yeah. that's the stuff that really counts. So, you know, I can only do my little part, Crispin. Yeah. Well, I appreciate what you're doing and uh certainly have enjoyed my, my time here and continue to continue to uh keep enjoying Abita for the years to come. So uh I'm I'm so glad you could uh take a little time out of your day and uh talk music and Abita and uh maybe uh some folks that are listening, you can plan to come uh make a trip over here for the Busker Festival or one of the Abita Opries and uh Well, Abita Opry is always the third Saturday in March, April and May. Mm-hmm. And then again in October, November, and December. We do six shows a year. And the Busker Festival is always the third Sunday in April. And I do that for a reason. It's the weekend in between the French Quarter Festival and the Jazz Fest. And the reason it's in between the French Quarter Festival and the Jazz Fest is that's when I know the buskers will be in town. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, don't even try to get in touch with buskers during the summertime. No, no. But uh, they'll be in town for, uh, you know, for that big hit, you know. So, and they'll enjoy coming out that Sunday afternoon and playing at the Busker Festival. And, hey, I I would love to invite, you know, my uh, granddaughter, came to Jazz Fest with, uh, we were talking about kids and, and whether they get it. My granddaughter and came with my daughter uh, because I do a gumbo cooking demonstration at the Jazz Fest every year. Oh, you do? Yes, I do. Wow. And uh, I've been doing it for about 25 years. I've taught people from all over the world how to cook gumbo. But anyway. If I knew uh, you gave lessons, I might have uh, scheduled a lesson over here too. <laughs> yeah, no, this was, no, this was at Jazz Fest. Uh, I like because I get to park on the grounds and I get two free passes and they pay me, you know. (laughs) I mean, that's golden. But anyway, my granddaughter came and uh, my my daughter took her a day off of school. She said, Faith, we're going to go. It's a Friday. We're going to go to the Jazz Fest. And I'm going to let you stay a day off of school. And uh, my granddaughter was at Jazz Fest. She's in the eighth grade last year. And she told her mother at the festival, she said, you know, Mama, I think there's a lot more about Louisiana than what I'm learning in that book in Louisiana history class. Wow. You know, now that that right there, is, you see what I... <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't get better than that. Yeah, yeah. So that one day out of class, I always thought that as a, as a Louisiana history teacher... I said, any kid in the eighth grade is taking Louisiana history, if they want to take a day off of school and go to Jazz Fest or the French Quarter Festival or anything like that, man, give them the day off. Absolutely. Give them the day yeah. off. Let them go. Yeah. Just, one year I was playing a triangle on the stage uh, at Jazz Fest with the Hackberry Ramblers, <laughs> uh, Cajun band, and uh, they invited me to go play the uh, T-Fair, the Cajun Triangle, yeah. with them. And I'm on the stage, and uh, I was teaching school. I took a day off because I wasn't going to miss that. Yeah. <laughs> so I took a personal leave day, and I'm up on the stage uh, playing a triangle, and all of a sudden, here come four of my students. <laughs> <laughs> busted. <laughs> yeah, we were both busted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But you know, once again, no, man, no, no, they need to be there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, cool, Brian. Well, thank you so much. Um, and In my pleasure. And we'll we'll just uh, we'll put up this this info on our uh, on the podcast episode so people can check out the website and all that. But um, really enjoyed it, man. Thank, thank you. This concludes another episode of Extra Crispy. Hope you enjoyed it. I will put links to the Abita Springs Opry page on the comment section of our podcast. Extra Crispy is produced right here in Abita Springs by me, Crispin Schroeder. And all the music that you've heard on this episode is also original compositions from various albums that I've done. You can find my music uh, on Spotify, iTunes, whatever. And hopefully, uh, I'm going to start working on a new album here uh, shortly. I'm going to start doing some demos here in a few weeks. So, hopefully, uh, have a new album out before the end of this year. So, anyway, till next time, may all your conversations be extra crispy. <laughs>